0: Why are the teenagers the worst? Teenagers have phones. It's interesting how you
1: slide into technology without deciding. Hello, and welcome to Hug and a High Five. It's a mom and daughter podcast journal. I'm Ingrid, I'm the daughter. And I'm Vicki. I'm the mom. I'm trying to figure out how to be an adult. I'm trying to figure
0: out how to parent an adult and live as an adult who is more than a parent.
1: I live in New York City. And I live in Los Angeles. And this is Hug and a High Five. Hello, Ingrid. Hi, mom. How are you? I'm well. Good to hear from you. You too. Today, we have a specific topic in mind which i was thinking about topics to do and i just decided to type in to google why are the teenagers the worst (laughs) because i figured that was something that most moms could relate to and that every teenager has heard probably not from their own parent except for in a moment of possible frustration but certainly in the world i feel like it's like a pretty common thing teenagers are the worst and we can't figure them out and they're always the (laughs) and uh, and some uh moms would say that
0: goes on into the early 20s (laughs)
1: um and i think one of the reasons that the that adolescence is so frustrating to adults right now i suppose this has always been true but maybe more so just because technology gets so grows so fast now is that teenagers have phones Mm. there's like a whole new world of freedom escape (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. I think that's into called an this escape. like world that that the parent can't see. Uh-huh. I thought we'd talk today about technology in the home, and what our experiences were when I got a cell phone and how that changed us. Yeah, it. Well, go, going back to like you
0: said, has it been the case through all of history? Uh, I would say teenagers go through this period of individuation and uh so they want to separate themselves from their parents which is natural and healthy and then they kind of deep dive into things and find places to deep dive into that are likely different from their parents so that's where those uh loopholes are and those escapes are and and um as connectivity and communication have grown throughout the Years, you know, that was the bell telephone on the wall (laughs) that people would spend hours on, and then, um, just people would find ways to connect with other people rather than just their parents. Uh, it seems like, but now we have this limitless world at the tip of our fingertips
1: limitless that's a far better (laughs) word than freedom, it's limitless.
0: Uh, with with the computer in our palm. Right. One of the research uh, notes that I came across was that we have removed stopping cues. Oh. So when we used to have more frequent stopping cues, like at the end of a meal, that's a place to stop. Or when someone has to go home hmm. at the end of the night. Or when you have to hang up the phone those are all stopping cues. <clears throat> yeah. And to a degree, I guess texting could be have some stopping cues, but not a lot because you can always pick up your phone in the middle of the night, especially if you keep it near you and you use it as your clock, mm-hmm. then you don't have to stop. You can, can keep texting all night long. Or if you're playing an online game on your computer, right? those are designed by game designers to not have stopping cues but to purposefully keep you going
1: and yeah they're all cliffhangers well
0: yeah and you, you lose points you lose momentum mm-hmm. if you stop so you're actually rewarded for not stopping
1: true that's an interesting idea okay so we we i think we've eliminated some stopping cues in all of life they probably all have to do with technology but i am thinking about like netflix also you just like it gives you five seconds yes to turn it off. Yeah. Which I yeah. Often, I mean this is the why they do it, um get rolled into because when I finish an episode of something, I usually want unless it's like a sitcom where you can just check out, but usually like I want a couple breaths of time to like think through what I've just watched. Like when the credits roll at a movie. Yeah. And instead I have 4 seconds to be like ah and like you know pop it off before it goes on. Until you've been watching for many hours, and it says, "Are you still watching this point?" You're like, "Yes, I am, you're here, I'm here forever yeah. so there's lots of places where the world stops I think is I think <sighs> that little like dopamine hit from the television or the screen in general, and all those rewards that you get from not stopping do affect all of us, but yeah. they disproportionately affect mm-hmm. teenagers because their brains mm-hmm. are not fully developed yet. <laughs>
0: Later adolescence.
1: When I got a phone... Yes. It already feels like it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It was all, it was like 10 years ago. Yeah, it was literally 10 years ago. I got a, I got a phone when I was 13. Yeah, 8th grade. And the amount that things have changed since then are incredible. I was a the firstborn. There's a lot that we didn't know yet about how phones work in the home. So my experience with phones with you as my mom and with dad as my dad, is very different than like Audrey's, who is only now 17, you know. What was your experience from your side of things when you gave me my first phone?
0: Well, the, the biggest thing was the texting ability that you had. So we did say no social media, and social media was at its infancy then. Um,
1: True. I, I had a little BlackBerry. I had dad's hand-me-down BlackBerry flip phone. With just the numbers, and I got concernably good at texting, like knowing the letters (laughs) and like triple, triple texting to get to the C or whatever on the one. Yeah, I remember how fast you could use your thumbs. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but it was a BlackBerry. Minor technology correction: it wasn't a BlackBerry; it was just a Motorola phone.
1: Yeah, there was no big smart screen for social media, and I didn't have a MySpace or an AIM or a. Yeah, and Instagram came out about eight years, seven years later. It was the
0: the texting, and we were able to monitor the texts on our data plan and could see how many texts you had. Do you remember when you got your first iPhone? Were you a junior in high school?
1: Um, I don't, Maybe I was – it might have been earlier than a junior, but maybe – I don't know. Well, I had – eighth grade, I got dad's flip phone, and then – I had a slide phone after that. So it must have not for I must have been a couple of years. So maybe it was junior year. The first iPhone 4? I had the first iPhone in our family. Did you give me your iPhone or did I get a Yeah, new one?
0: and then I got a new generation and and maybe you got my old one.
1: I don't yeah. really know. I had an iPhone 4 for a, a amount of time that I am so proud of. <laughs> People would distinguish you as having one of the originals. I think I had that first iPhone 4. For four years. Yeah, I must have been junior year. Junior year, senior year, and freshman and sophomore year of college. Tears for Ingrid. Yes. Did you have a 5? Yeah, I must have. You're right. I had an iPhone 4 and an iPhone 5. I think iPhone 5 is the one I had for, I know, I had them both for a long time. Yeah, you had a 5 for a long, long time. I mean, your
0: sister got an iPhone when she was in ninth grade. I remember that. So that's when we started to put into place some kind of a contract about there will be a charging shelf and no phones after nine o'clock and phones need to sit on the charging shelf and the whole family will have it there. But that is interesting because that's before we started using the phones as our clocks all the time. Mm. It's interesting how you slide into technology because we got rid of the clock in our room. Right. And so then we need a phone in our room and then we did, we got rid of our regular phone. So I put the iPhone in my room oh, you know in case of emergency so we have a phone nearby so it's interesting how those decisions can creep in without deciding and then, and then you end up having a phone next to your bed and you can end up listening to it at nighttime or watching something on the screen and, and now it's used just like a TV screen with all the shows at your fingertips and yeah, I have gotten into the slippery slope habit of, of if I'm by myself I, I will often look at Instagram
1: yeah you just scroll and scroll they did,
0: you didn't have them at your bed at nighttime, but there was a lot of sneaking back to the charging shelf and right. reading your texts late at nighttime. And you – there was a time when we were counting texts when your texts were in the thousands per week. Right. And then we asked you to cut back.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I, I think the things that I remember being tricky between like in our relationship when texting arrived as a factor – had to do with like the attention sharing. Yes. I'm sure we can talk about like the. Mm-hmm-hmm. Trouble. That a thousand texts have on someone's psyche. <laughs> um, or on their joints. I don't know. I'm sure there's science there. But really. I, I, I'm. i Hearkening back to. The conversation we had a, a couple of weeks ago. On the podcast. What were we talking about? Oh we were talking about
0: college
1: and me going off to college and how often we talked in college and i made the comment that i don't think it would have mattered if we had created a really strict schedule about like this is how often that you talk to me and and those kind of things to keep connected in college because the the thing that was missing was the depth Mm. and the honesty Mm -hmm. so it didn't matter how much i talked to you because i was always going to be superficial and that's not Mm -hmm. what you wanted um and that's not like honoring or a real relationship. I think the same, mm-hmm. there was a time, especially in high school at home, and it. I slip into it sometimes now, but it was pretty consistent in high school where the amount of, a, of time that I spent texting really translated to, this is the amount of time that I am splitting my attention between you, who's really in the room with me, and my phone with a million other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which was really probably two. It was probably the boy that I liked and my best friend mm-hmm. or the text- occasional group text, although group texts weren't quite so much of a thing as they are with iPhones, mm-hmm. no. All that to say, I think it was much more the, the the attention-sharing thing where I'd end up being like pretty rude sitting on in the phone or sitting in the car or, or at home having a full conversation with you, and especially when I had that slide phone, While simultaneously texting someone else without looking at them. Because I knew that eye contact was important for having a real conversation and that was something that honored you. Mm. And so I would – I literally learned how to have thoughts in my head and text someone without looking at them and send it and know that I was okay and probably one spelling error while simultaneously having a conversation with you and thinking that that was – that I'd done my job. (laughs) In the
0: past, I don't know, teenagers might have been more surly and, and isolated where you were having an outlet on your phone so you weren't isolated. You were, still might have been surly.
1: <laughs> right. I didn't have to slam the door on your face. I didn't have to like bring the coiled phone uh, into the, the closet. Corner. Yeah. But I, I was being just as dishonoring. I, I think that comes with a territory of individuation. What were your and dad's conversations like in that time period? When like when you first discovered that happening, was it a shock to you? Was it like, oh well, I guess this is this time of life? Like how did you guys talk about it? Oh, it's
0: very frustrating and maddening. And that's where kind of a knee-jerk response of, of us is to clinch down and tighten the screws of control and where can we put more controls around this? Right. I think that there's times when we wanted to have conversations about it. Uh, If I was to talk to a parent now, I would say have a conversation with your child around their boundaries and what they're getting out of it. And in an idyllic world, that would be a beautiful conversation. But if you're still reticent and unwilling to talk and engage, then Hmm. that's not going to be a great conversation. (laughs) Even if you are in a happy place, well rested, well fed. You're not hungry, you're not angry, you're not lonely, you're not tired. Well, you might be tired and you might be angry. You might be lonely. But it still would Ideal such be a hard conversation, I think, to have. But at least we could try. Uh, I think what I would do more for for dad and I, yeah. we just would... We're, bewildered, and would talk to each other, and and try to clamp down on the rules. And sometimes we would revisit the rules, and sometimes we would bring them to you. Yeah, there's a certain amount of frustration, and and then acceptance, and then a kind of understanding. This is the new
1: normal. I think, I think you just exp- uh, listed all of the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Funnily enough, denial, anger, acceptance. <laughs> yes. That's true. Which actually, that's kind of an interesting thing to comment on, that there probably was a certain amount of grief, mm-hmm. whatever you named it at the time. Because while the technology magnifies it in a different way that, I mean, adolescence is a very different time of life, and there isn't, I mean, there's a there's this section of, oh, like, my kid isn't looking at me with the same, like, you're all-knowing eyes anymore you know yeah that happens into the tween years yeah it, it's hard
0: parents aren't really warned of it and you, with the firstborn you don't know what that's going to look like so you go from being yeah. everything in the eyes of your child all powerful all wise everything that the child wants you can
1: fix everything yeah
0: I remember one time you were a a toddler and the next door neighbor asked to play with you. And you said, I'm playing with my mom. And I got such a, like, oh, yay, I win. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> um, <laughs> I win. <laughs> uh, it's a transition that you go into and you're not warned about. And we've read parenting books along the way. Mm. And we talked to other adults. But not, you know, n- not not all adults think of saying that and you know you just might hear it in passing so we've learned a lot more about it I didn't take parenting class when I you guys were teenagers and now I'm like why that would have been really helpful if I had somebody guiding me through it a little bit better I just heard things
1: well that's something I mean I think that's like a lot of the reason that we started this podcast Mm -hmm. is because there is such a a lacking I mean it's so it's so culturally okay to ask questions and to not know what you're doing when you have an infant. Yeah. And um you mentioned this right before we started recording today that there there's like a very similar transition that happens when a child is an adolescent. Yes. It isn't it isn't so culturally appropriate. Like other moms don't look at you and mo- like older moms don't look at you and say, "Oh, like let me give you my my next set of books that I used." And right. You know, when you were
0: in the middle of college i did ask moms over for lunch that had kids that had graduated and and it is interesting it's kind of like the well i would say your delivery story from your birth delivery story is like so galvanized mm. into your mind cuz it's so painful but um but there's a lot of parts of your birth delivery story that you Remember forever and you love to share again. (laughs) Yeah. There are a lot of parts that you forget and you forget the details. And I felt like. And and these moms that I invited over were just, you know, in their stage of life. But the main comment I got from them is that all of life is the, a transition. Because I said, I'm in this big, big transition time. And they kind of smiled and chuckled and said, all of life from now on is a transition. And we, at that time, were talking about our being in the sandwich generation between our parents, taking care of our parents, and uh. taking care of younger kids and figuring out what that is like. So I was like, okay, well, that's good, you know, and that's a life lesson I have lived. But it wasn't the detail about this is how we handled this situation. And I did talk to... Interesting. I did talk to some parents about specifics. And it's interesting because they were much more controlling, much more controlling parents, (laughs) a couple of sets of parents. And at the time, you know, everything was rosy with their kids and what seven years later they might go well it's not going so well Mm. for us now i just I, i just think every family goes through their hard times yeah and uh it's it's i don't know it's just nice to be able to talk about it with people and have that conversation there is that we what we talked about one before we got started was the the pruning stages that the brain goes through oh yeah talk a little bit about that the brain goes through the human brain goes through pruning and in toddlerhood where your uh, primitive reflexes hopefully get pruned out of your system and your body is able to relax into movement without holding tension in your body all the time
1: wait what are primitive reflexes
0: The primitive reflexes are your safety reflexes you have. So when you're an infant, you for the first year of your life, you will uh, arch your back or you'll put your arm out when you hear a sound because you are protecting yourself. Oh, wow. But if you keep that tension in your body because you aren't aware of where sound comes in space, Mm. it's called your proprioceptive system, Uh (laughs) then you put your your arm out when you don't need to, because the sound is coming from the other side of your body. Interesting. But your your nervous system is not aware of where that is in space. So it's a safety and pro- protection system, all these different, um, there's like five or seven different primitive reflexes. Uh, and they should get pruned from your system. Well, your brain in the tween and teen years also goes through a pruning system where it gets rid of things that it thinks it doesn't need. And that's why... It would be useful for parents to understand how important they are, hmm. even if their child is bristly, and uh, just to keep that connection that's, and to keep that relationship. Oh, uh, that's so and that beautiful!
1: <laughs> I don't know why that hit me so hard, but it it did. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> you are so important, even when your child doesn't see it or doesn't well, show it. Well, it's
0: interesting because when they're infants and they fit in the size of your arm. Even when they're, when they're bristly, you're like,
1: yes, you're but like, I have okay, to hold you, you up. You have a need
0: that I'm, exactly. You have a need that I'm going to meet. Interesting. Uh, cause it's clear and obviously you can't take care of yourself. Um, but when you are a teenager and you don't look like you want to be held, sometimes, you know, the pat on the head or the gentle touch on the shoulder is what you need is that connection that you need to establish so that you can have these hard conversations about technology and have them be more two-way
1: that's amazing to think about what if there was a there was a shift in the in the thinking I suppose of parents when they Mm -hmm. when they found their in their adolescent child being bristly Mm -hmm. to think What do you need? Yeah. The same way that you'd think about that as an infant.
0: There's a lot of books been written about it recently. Huh. But yeah, there's a lot more people that could use hearing about it because we all growing. We all, there's a lot of teenagers in the world, a lot of parents. Yeah. And the thing is, what happens so with infants, they cry, but they're not verbal otherwise.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, Adolescents are overly verbal. The pruning that
0: happens in the teenage brain. Is what's wired starts firing I see and um, well, that happens in all brains but if what's wired is negative and so that they've been hearing the teenagers have been hearing for 12 15 17 years a lot of negative comments from their parents a lot of badgering a lot of like the really a lot about the tone more than the words yeah a lot of dismissiveness then that is what is wired into the teenage brain. Interesting. And they're going to start facing that back, holding that mirror up, and the parents don't realize, oh, this is really a mirror of who I am. Yeah, it makes you shudder. Oh, that's painful. (laughs) It kind of sucks. Do you want to tell a
1: story of, can you think of a time when that happened with me or one of your other children, I suppose?
0: Well, definitely the tone of voice that you would have. Yeah. Not so much the words, but the tone of voice, the dismissiveness. Um, the teenager I have in my house right now, she's very smart and can be very cutting on occasion. <laughs> now I now being aware of it, yeah. I can kind of make a joke about it and go, ooh, the tone that came out of that mouth right now was <laughs> really extreme. Yes, right. Uh, whereas before, this is the interesting thing. Because it's so two-way. So the communication is becoming much, mm. much more two-way with an infinite less two-way. Yeah. And parents accept that and they exert a far greater measure of control. So the hard part about the teenage years and going into early adulthood, I would say um, later adolescence, right. uh, <laughs> yeah. is that it needs to start being so much more two-way and... And so parents have to practice that. And if parents, I'll I'll speak from my experience, if I have hypersensitivity about something, then uh, I'm gonna react in an extreme way. And then you're gonna react in, in opposition to that. What one thing that I would notice, like I would be much more matter of fact and, and almost kind of rude at the checkout counter mm. or meeting people um but p- particularly at stores at the checkout counter yes and i will say that's because that's the modeling i had truthfully mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. also in my head i was like okay yeah, this is i'm on my task i'm on my mission and you're just like a conduit to my mission and i don't need to extend any grace or con- you know kindness to you <laughs> that didn't enter <laughs> yes. my brain but um you started to notice that in your teenage years and get mad at me then that would I would feel bristly and hypersensitive about you bringing that up to me kind of like I didn't invite you to give your opinion on the way I act (laughs) and I (laughs) think that is hitting on a, a good target right there um where me and I would say a lot of parents would say wait a second I didn't invite you to give your opinion on the way I behave interesting
1: yeah yeah, which, uh, that's interesting when you think about the fact that a lot of adolescents are just, and then, you know, f- I don't know, young adulthood, the whole thing, begin with the reflection of what they've taken in yeah, pe- behavior-wise for years and years, mm-hmm. and a lot of the behavior that we've taken in for 12 to 18 years is you giving your opinion on my life. Like, that's the whole point of parenthood, it yeah. seems, <laughs> sometimes, to comment on my life. Yeah and then yeah. um shape me yeah so it, that makes sense that then mm-hmm. I, when i feel like i have enough standing to give to the world the first thing i would do is comment on your life and try to shape you
0: you're gonna practice giving it back to
1: me <laughs> and
0: i'm gonna be like wait a second i didn't sign up for this
1: and you're like I, I didn't sign up for that
0: yeah that's a good note for parents of yeah later adolescence
1: they're just trying to figure out how else to communicate because that's all we've now seen. Yeah. Someone asked me at Trader Joe's the other day, uh, we were talking and after hours, stalking shelves. And they, they ended up asking me, what are you like when you're angry? <laughs> and I was like, well, first level of anger is tears. Mm. And next level of anger is just really mean words yelling. I'm, I'm really mean. And then I thought to myself, I'm really like my mom when I'm angry. <laughs>
0: You're welcome.
1: I was like, <laughs> oh, but I'm thinking about it now because I don't didn't understand that about myself mm-hmm. until um, far later than adolescence. Because mm-hmm. when he they asked me that question, I immediately thought about fights I'd had with boyfriends in college. Oh, because that is the next closest. Like, mm-hmm. I've shared a very deep part of my soul with you, and now you've hurt me, and I've hurt you, and we're having an argument. Mm-hmm. But I think about that now to say we are we're shaped by who, where we come from and so it makes sense that I'm sure I take parts of dad's anger as well but when we had arguments when I was living in your house I'm sure there were similar things that I did then where I took use from you and so our arguments back and forth to each other were probably equally uh cutting and and angry and blame-filled totally that is
0: huge i love the whole idea about you ha- being able to have a difference of opinion and a, a strong difference of opinion and have a conversation about it because that was definitely not modeled to me growing up mm growing up there was anger but it was always like low below the surface and i would say that it's kind of a little bit about the culture of the part of the country i was raised in from my observation right. not a 100 percent, because it was like also my parents but it was where i was raised whereas um you just talk you talk around things and you don't you don't super
1: passive aggressive yeah
0: so that's one thing that i have found so refreshing on the coasts where people are just like this is how I feel and they get it out and they get mad and then they move on I remember really being in high school and enjoying going to my friend's house where she had like five siblings and they would totally yell at each other and I was like wow huh, this is so interesting because you so love each other but you yell at each other and that is not <laughs> my experience at all my experience right. is so silent. The silent treatment is like mm. the way I operated in my house. Interesting. So uh, it took me, when I first got married, when I was mad at dad about something, or uh, while we were dating too, like three days to a week before I was even able to like put to words what I was mad about. And wow. then um, when I finally got them to words, yeah, then it was, like you said, tears and loud, yelling, <laughs> things like that. And, like, pulling up things from the history. Right, yeah, things that of... I had held on to and not let go of. Yeah, Yeah. so, yeah, That that is a beautiful thing if parents can learn how to model. Not necessarily that you can have good fights and yell at each other. I mean, obviously, if you can say everything with kindness and
1: – but that – it's not – that's a little super It's not realistic. Yeah, you're <laughs> a real human. And you're – that's the thing. I think like parents are allowed to be real humans. You're allowed to show your weaknesses. I think that's really helpful mm-hmm. because then there hopefully isn't quite such a crashing – Yeah. Uh, like discombobulation. It is really disorienting to become an adolescent and it feels like you wake up one day and look at your parents and think, oh, wait, you're not superwoman? Yeah. You're like, wait, you're, what? And and so that's just as disorienting, I think, as as parents looking at their child children going, wait, all of a sudden you have a voice and mm-hmm. an opinion about the world. Mm-hmm. Because there's something really, really comforting about feeling like your parents can do no wrong and have the height of truth, and you know, yeah. <laughs> and it's a little, it's a little bit scary when you do go to other people's houses and find different points of view where you go to high school and have de- you know debates in class and realize like wait there's a lot more to think about than what I thought there was and I don't think I do agree with my parents like that's kind of scary on its own too yeah I have had
0: one. the one thing I would say for elementary school parents is they having that dinner time together and then maybe taught having intentional bring up conversations that people will have different points of view on and have practice mm. just over a meal that has an ending point <laughs> where you yeah, have a conversation true. and you, and you have intentionally practice taking dis, d- different points of view and, and having conversation about it. We have friends that are much better at that and I still kind of marvel at them. Um, so I like that. Uh, what One thing we did understand from parenting series that Daddy and I took when you guys were little is um, uh, how to apologize. True. And so I would say just the whole concept of how to recover well is important. Mm. Recognizing that there are going to be ruptures and fractures in relationship, but having the humility and especially for parents to That's model huge. the humility yeah. to come back and... Say, uh, can we circle back? And you know, that's one of my favorite new phrases of the past year. Yeah, circle back. (laughs) Can we circle back and talk about that again? This is bothering me. And and being humble enough to say, ha, I didn't really do that well. I I I got a kind of. I was very sensitive, oversensitive, had extreme reaction. Yeah, just I want to apologize for that. I am aware that that happened, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to bring that to you.
1: When I was Young, there was like a certain amount of rules about the phone, Mm -hmm. and definitely frustrations with just you know coming face to face with that reality of my child is more of an adult, but not at all. It, you know, like has more of the responsibility without more of the tools and all those things. And one thing that no, I know dad has talked about as he has started to like teach other. Parenting classes and things. I'm glad that mm-hmm. there's like a little bit of a spike in the parenting conversations for older kids, parents with older kids. Yeah. Is this idea that there is a threshold to your home? That there's like that little place when you open the door, where you have to like step over that little threshold doormat to get into your own house. Yes. And so, as much as the phone feels yes. so permeating and the computer seems like it's you know, like all of those things, the internet in general is this big black hole. There, There is a a level that you can take responsibility for, just like you take responsibility for everything else that walks into mm-hmm. your home. You know, you, you choose who, who steps yeah. over that threshold. You choose what kind of conversations and what words and what level of humility and all those things. And from what I understand about what dad talks about, when it talks about the threshold to your home in regards to the internet and the phone, starts with a lot of modeling. You know, how often do I sit on my phone and, yes. and let Netflix go on forever? And I think that is true. Even like there, there was an in, there was a something innate about that that you both found, even when phones began with with me, because you chose to take steps that were very selfless and probably inconvenient to you like we will all put our phones on the charging stand at 9 p.m when that's like silly for an adult to have to do unless they choose to yeah but you had solidarity with me in that Mm -hmm. there are other things that were you know strict for with me which I chose to twist into like me being more secretive yeah years later with your third child and different technology that you would say to other parents here are places to be strict and here are places to be more free
0: I I would say have repeated conversations about it and with regard to modeling it's interesting the uh, like we've talked about the there's no ending cues the pervasiveness of having the phone in your pocket and any second there's dead time taking it out and scrolling through now for your dad he takes his phone out and scrolls through the news mm-hmm. um, sometimes people scroll through like sometimes I take it out and scroll through Instagram sometimes I scroll through the news but not as it's not quite as much of a habit but uh, some people just pull up a game right and are playing a game on their phone so I think first the best thing to do is just to make the observation about it and say mm-hmm. hey this is what I notice about myself. What do you notice about yourself? What do you notice about people around you? And are we willing anymore to stand and not have something in our hand? Right. <laughs> and just look around us. Allow yourself to be a little bored. Looking... Yes. The whole concept of being willing to be bored and being willing to daydream. Mm. Which when you have the phone in your hand you cut that off right and i'm i'm researching right now about um distractibility which is commonly called adhd ah, yes or add um and it what it wasn't specifically diagnosed a hundred years ago, but Einstein has all the attributes. Albert Einstein has all the attributes of something that had ADHD and dyslexia and although it wasn't diagnosed, so you can't it's correlated, but it's not you can't say it's causal. He said how you know do you create a smarter person in the world. And he said, well, they need a chance to daydream.
1: Think outside the box.
0: Yeah. One of the beauties of somebody that is distractible is that they can daydream. But if they always have a device in their hand and they always go to it immediately, then they cut off their opportunity to daydream. So that would be a conversation for parents to have with their kids and say, hey, if you want to be more creative, you actually need to stop having constant input of a device that is that feeds messages to you you need to take in input that is like a, through your other senses
1: and to have that conversation whether or not the, ch- the adolescent is receptive to that to even bring forward mm-hmm. a deeper um want or need even is so helpful for the, for the teenager who has the tendency to feel like they're just being stifled, and like there's just rules for the sake yeah. of rules. Like, I, I think in the same way that you could look at your child and say, you're having a, for lack of a better word, a tantrum. What do you need? Oh, yeah. I used to call them teenage yeah, you tantrums. Totally did, which I totally agree <laughs> with. What, what is it that you need that you don't have, have a way to express effectively? I think there's a, like a similar way that parents can say like there's, I think that I need from you or that I know that you need still, you know, which is mm-hmm. a freedom of brain. The, tr- the trick
0: with the phone is that we can numb out, it, out with it and get yeah. detached from those underlying emotions. And there is such a massive increase of anxiety in the world. Yep. And it it is very correlated, maybe not it's not like it's hard to prove that's causal, but it's very correlated with social media apps that make us feel less than. Yeah. Um the amount of time that people spend on on phone apps that make them feel better like health trackers and sleep trackers and things like that is of the time, something like that, a really low number. The amount of time that people spend on apps that make them feel not enough is 61% of the time. So like, and that would be Instagram and all of the YouTube, all of the kind of apps that are comparison related. Yeah. So the anxiety of teenagers, tweens and teens and young adults is skyrocketing and it, and it's correlated to all of the apps on the phone that they always have in their hand right. that they spend 61% of their time looking at. We so we numb out and we numb out with apps that don't make us feel better about ourselves. So our anxiety yeah. level goes up and then because our anxiety level goes up and this seems natural and it also might be correlated rather than causal but it does seem natural that if my anxiety level is raised up because I've just spent time looking at people that I feel not enough because it's like the FOMO fear of missing out and comparison problems. When you say something to me, I'm going to feel hypersensitive about it, whatever it is. Whereas if I was just like looking out the window and you said something to me, I might not feel hypersensitive about it. I might just go, yeah, I can take that in yeah. stride. But it, the the soundtrack in my brain right. is is playing all of this. Um, I'll call it shark music. Mm-hmm. Dan Siegel has an example that he gives, where he said, "You know, look at a common situation in your life, any kind of a circumstance that happens in your life. But whatever you your perception is, whatever the soundtrack playing in your brain is, gonna help." dictate your response to that common situation that's so true so if the the music playing in your life if in your in your head is idyllic piano music ukulele i'm going down to the beach music then that is going to be part of the way you respond at either as a parent or as a child, oh, child. Yeah. and then if the music in your head to the same exact setting is shark music, just picture or think of, of the, the music of yeah, Jaws yeah. going through your head, Ugh. then that same setting is going to be very disturbing, Yeah, even though it's, it's the same scene because of the soundtrack
1: playing in your own oh, head. Goodness. That's a way better question than even, like, what does my tantrum child need? Yeah. Because there's, there, that's still, there's, like, a bit of that that's still, like, I have to be the servant for my child, which I don't want to be true and... <laughs> The child doesn't really want that either anymore, Mm -hmm. you know. But what is the soundtrack playing in their head right now? And what is the soundtrack playing in my head right now? Very much so. Very much so. Oh, what a great – I'm going to ask myself that (laughs) question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's – it's um yeah, I would say Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson have written several books. No Drama Discipline, Whole Brain Child, The Yes Brain, their new book. I'm not exactly sure what it's called, but I think it's called The Power of Showing Up. It just came out. Mm. Uh but it all has to do with the whole brain and the zones of regulation yeah. and what, yeah, what is the background music playing and being curious. It all has to do with being curious about your experience and your child's experience and how they interact together and how you can create connection.
1: Yeah. So takeaways. Every family is different, which isn't the greatest thing to hear when you want help. <laughs> With your young adult child. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a place perhaps for less of a parenting class for for parents of young adults and more of like a parenting support yeah. group.
0: Where you can hear each other. Just
1: to say, let's just tell some stories and know you're not alone. Yeah. You aren't alone. Yeah. You control the threshold to your home, you are still the king of that castle, not the phone yeah it is it is you can you still have dominion over the, the electronics we, we all have soundtracks in our brains all the time and be curious yeah be curious about each other's soundtracks and lives and and start there at the deeper issue and be willing to have uh, that conversation be more two-way yeah. humility kind of comes that down is to
0: the that. that is the uncomfortable transition a parent has to recognize yeah. And um, if they're going to be the primary model in their child's life, and their com- communication is going to be two-way, and the communication coming back at them is unpleasant, then maybe it's time to look in the mirror and say, "Huh, what does my communication going towards them look oh, like?"
1: <laughs> so you you do a yeah. noble job raising the next generation. <laughs> Truly, it's it, it's intentional. That's intense. anybody can be a
0: parent but not everybody can be an intentional parent That's, it takes work to be an intentional yeah. parent but it's good work I'm glad to parent you I'm glad that we have this
1: great communication and that you work with having connection towards and, me thank yeah you. thank you thanks for, for taking those deep strides to be able to have a two way conversation you're welcome mom yes? may your soundtrack today be full of ukuleles <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> and yours too. And yours
1: too. All right. Have a good week. Bye. I love you. I love Bye. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hug and a High Five. Yep. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to suggest a topic, ask us a question, or share your mom-daughter story, please email us at hugandahighfivepodcast at gmail.com. That's hugandahighfivepodcast at gmail.com. All words, hug and a high five Podcast at gmail.com. Have a great week.